I'm going to be perfectly clear right from the get-go. There's a dog on my lap. And I'm not moving. So enjoy that. <laughs> Welcome back to Anatomy Bites. Before we get started, I have a favor to ask you. Can you help me out with some research? Yes, you, listener. And maybe not you yourself qualifies, but maybe you know somebody who does. You see, as part of my doctorate, I'm part of a research group, and we have combined efforts with a group of researchers and students at the University of Southern California, USC, in order to study different aspects of parenting, child rearing, and baby wearing practices and how those may have changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. So what are we studying exactly? Well, we wanna know about mental health, about physical health, about activity level, and yes, of course, baby wearing practices. And what a better way to reach out and get a really global perspective than to ask my listeners who I know come from so many different countries around the world and you know, that might give us some really interesting data because, you know, right now I think our, our results have a lot of people from our region in Southern California, but maybe we can expand our knowledge about worldwide perspectives from some of you. So if you know anybody who gave birth during the COVID-19 pandemic, if you know anyone who was child rearing or parenting or taking care of a child under the age of five, in the last 18 or so months during the pandemic, please, please, please let them know about our survey. The survey itself should only take about 10 or 15 minutes to complete and you would be so helpful in helping us get an idea on how the pandemic has impacted parents and caregivers of children. So how do you find this survey? You probably wanna know. Well. I have it posted in um, a link in bio in my Instagram account. So you can find me at Nikki-Ray, N-I-K-K-I-D-A-S-H-R-A-E, and go to the link in my bio. It's the first option under my link tree. It just says COVID-19 pandemic baby wearing survey, something like that. You can't miss it. And if you're not on Instagram, you can find the link on my Twitter account as well, same handle, at Nikki-Ray, and it is my latest tweet. I included a informational flyer about the details of the survey, as well as a link to complete the survey online. So you would do us such a huge favor if you could share the word, spread the word, let people know, and help us out. So thank you so much, and now let's get back to the show. My name is Nick. I'm here with my two dogs, Vita and Zoe, and we're here to talk about bite-sized chunks of anatomy. As you well know, that's why you're here. So it's been a little bit since we've had an anatomy-specific episode, and we are going to continue on the lower leg muscles to keep that train going. I have had a great time in the last few months with my first full-time clinical rotation and 
I just feel like so re-energized going forward in my program. It's just such a different feeling from being in school. You know, I came from a different career. I am a career changer. So I was used to working before going back to school. And to be honest, going back to school has been a very tough transition for me because not only am I the oldest person in my program, but it's just like one of those experiences where you have very little control over anything in your life. And, you know, you start to feel like you're not adulting anymore because you're just getting told constantly what to do and when to do it. And, you know, obviously like having a boss can be like that too, but imagine having like six different bosses who all want the same things at the same time in different formats. And then you're, you're critiqued on your performance constantly. So, you know, basically school is like work times five. So it was really nice to say the least to be able to go to a clinic, pretend like I'm working and just at the same time have such an amazing experience with my clinical instructor and my colleague, my classmate who was there with me as well as the many amazing patients who I got to meet and work with. And I can tell you, like I just am so looking forward to getting back into a clinic as soon as I possibly can. So um, if you're in the thick of PT school and you haven't gotten to your rotations yet, just know that the grind that you are going through is temporary. And if PT is really where you're meant to be, the clinic, those rotations, they will just make this experience that you're going through now so worth it, so worth it. So keep up your head, stay strong and stay focused because there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's a lot sooner than you think. Like I can't even imagine, I couldn't even imagine how fast this time was gonna go by for me. Like I, it's been what, two and a half, barely, two and a quarter years since I started the program. And like, I just feel so much more confident and knowledgeable and professional and so many things, like so many transformations personally have happened for me in the last two years that like, I'm just so grateful to be where I'm at. I really, 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 really am grateful and no, you know, no matter if you're going to PT school or nursing school, or if you're just doing your undergrad right now and you don't really know what you want to do, or if you're in med school, whatever your, your path is really, just know that, you know, school is temporary. School is temporary. You're, you know, you're training for the rest of your life right now. And I gotta say that we don't emphasize enough, I don't think, the importance of continuing to tie your education back to your real purpose. School can just feel like this vortex, this like tunnel that's never ending. But if you're in school for some kind of profession, tie it back to your interest. For example, I volunteered this past weekend 
in one of my favorite events and it's once a year and it's called life rolls on now I'm coming off of a summer of full-time clinical rotation so I had a whole summer of tying school back to my future life right I had that whole experience of feeling like I'm a therapist of being a therapist um, you know making my school life relevant again basically and you know then we went back to school did the first week and then this event this life rolls on event was at the end of my first week and man oh man I can just already feel school pulling me back into that vortex where I don't want to go and this event is going to fulfill so it's going to provide me with so many memories that I know that I'm going to keep looking back to that for inspiration and purpose when times get tough. So just a little bit about that event. Um, Life Rolls On was started by a surfer named Jesse Belauer. And just you know, not knowing all the details of the story, I'll tell you what I know. Jesse Belauer was going to be a professional surfer. He was hitting all the hot circuits when he was a teenager and doing really well in competition. And uh, I think when he was 17 years old, 17, 18, somewhere in there, he unfortunately had an accident which damaged his spinal cord and he became a tetraplegic I want to say at the level of like C6 I think and he eventually after a few years decided to rally his friends from the surf circuits and say look I need to surf again I need to feel like my life has purpose you know after after having gone through a terrible accident and a huge change in his life he wanted to you know come back to the thing that he loved the most and so his friends helped him to design a surfboard where he could surf prone on his belly and they took him out and you know helped him paddle in and now you know after years and years he is like multiple world championship of adaptive surfing so um to continue to give back that stoke that love of surfing he created an organization called life rolls on to provide you know free volunteer-based events that bring the love of surfing to people with physical disabilities and um, uh, neurodiversity as well. And then they also have uh, skating, skate park events as well. So they do um, wheelchair skate events as well. And um, I mean, it's just been like such an impactful organization in the community. And as far as the surfing event, uh, they basically do a tour. 
in different cities throughout the whole summer. You know, every weekend they go somewhere else and they kind of travel down the coastline. They'll do East Coast, they'll do West Coast. And, you know, bringing surfing to one community at a time. And um, like I said, the whole event is volunteer based basically they have like six or so different teams and every team has a different color rash guard so there's like the red team and the black team and the aqua team and the pink team and the orange team and all that and these teams are like 20 people these are big teams and they have volunteers who are doing everything from you know helping the athlete get dressed into their wetsuits and in their life jackets and wheelchairs to people who are helping in the water in the shallow in the middle water in the deep water to facilitate surfing and it's such a fantastic experience i mean i grew up surfing here in socal and um, to be part of something that is not only relevant to me as a surfer as an athlete but also as a physical therapist I, it's just probably one of the things that I look forward to the most every summer. And, um, you know, when we talk about making school relevant to you, that's what I'm talking about. What, what you're learning now is a stepping stone to where you're going. And uh, I think to keep yourself motivated... You've got to keep in touch with events like this that, or whatever it is, work that you do, something outside of school that relates to where you're going, that reminds you and gives you that little extra energy, that little extra push of, oh yeah, this is my purpose. This is why I'm going through all of this trouble, all of this studying, all of the hours, all of the tests and everything because this is what I want to do ultimately at the end of the day is bring joy and health and mobility and sport to people who need it right so needless to say I just really enjoyed the event you know we're I was in the water I was a middle level water so I was kind of treading water from my knees to like my rib cage for six hours pretty much you know going in and out but cold cold water too man for SoCal summertime it was pretty cold I was in a full wetsuit but um you know respecting the confidentiality of the athletes I'm not going to go into detail but there's always like one experience every year that just kind of makes the day for you. The first time I did it, it was helping a visually impaired athlete surf and uh, a local here who has a dog that surfs with him. Dog is a surf champ actually. Um, surfed up next to him, put the dog on the board with him and said, hey, not only are you surfing, but you have a dog right here. Hold on to it. And it, it, it the guy's face, it was just so incredible. Like it was the most like happy experience for him. And to be part of that was just like so cool. 
And, you know, this year, um, I mean, it's like all the athletes, they're all people who say, like, this is the thing that I look forward to the most every year. Like, I can't wait to come back again and again and again. And, you know, there was one athlete this year who um, the parent kind of was telling us about some recent medical trouble that he had been encountering and um, she kind of said, you know, if you need to, bring him back out, you know, let him come in if he needs to. And I'll tell you what, that, that patient, he was out there, that athlete rather, the entire, every, every last second that he was allowed to be out there in his time frame, he was there. And he had the biggest smile on his face the whole time. He just kept going like, again, 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 put me in the water. I want to wipe out. <laughs> and you know, we're doing everything we can to keep these athletes on the board because we want them to feel safe. We don't want them to get tumbled around in the ocean, you know, and they're like, no, we want to wipe out. Let us fall. Let us. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it was so cool. That's all I got to say. Uh, I highly recommend looking up this organization and donating to them if you can. Life Rolls On by Jesse Belauer. Adaptive surfing and skating events. Really, really good people. Amazing, actually. All right, let's get back to anatomy. Every time I talk more about real life and clinicals, I, I, I realize these episodes get longer and longer. And I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, because this is life. This is, this is what gives us purpose and meaning, right? Anyway, we're here to talk about the lateral crural muscles. I bet you can't say that three times fast. Lateral curl muscle. This word curl is it's cruel to make us say curl. <laughs> C-R-U-R-A-L. Curl. It, it's anyway, it means leg. And when I say leg in medical terms, we are talking from the knee down. Tibia down. Thigh is knee up. Knee to hip. So we talk about the leg. We're talking below the knee, people. Below the knee. If you want to talk about like the whole hip to foot situation, we call that the lower extremity. So do know that. It's important. So we're here to talk about the lateral leg muscles. These being the peroneus longus and peroneus brevis. Here we go. Reading from Anatomy of the Human Body by Henry Gray and Warren H. Lewis. This text is in the public domain. It is from 1918. It is the 20th edition. You can download it for free. And I use it because of that reason. I cannot get sued for copyright. So, just know 
I'll update this when it needs to be, but this text is pretty darn good. It's pretty accurate. Anatomic studies happened a long, long, long time ago. And yes, there is of course always new research coming out, but it tends to be more on the biomechanical side of things. The actual structural anatomy stuff tends to stay the same, guys. So, let's get to it. Peroneus longus is situated at the upper part of the lateral side of the leg and is the more superficial of the two muscles, those two muscles being peroneus longus and brevis. It arises from the head and upper two-thirds of the lateral surface of the body of the fibula, from the deep surface of the fascia, and from the intermuscular septa between it and the muscles on the front and back of the leg occasionally also by a few fibers from the lateral condyle of the tibia. Between its attachments to the head and to the body of the fibula, there is a gap through which the common peroneal nerve passes to the front of the leg. It ends in a long tendon, which runs behind the lateral malleolus in a groove common to it and the tendon of the peroneus brevis, behind which it lies. The groove is converted into a canal by the superior peroneal retinaculum, and the tendons in it are contained in a common mucus sheath. The tendon then extends obliquely forward across the lateral side of the calcaneus, below the trochlear process, and the tendon of the peroneus brevis, and under cover of the inferior peroneal retinaculum. It crosses the lateral side of the cuboid and then runs on the undersurface of that bone in a groove which is converted into a canal by the long plantar ligament. The tendon then crosses the sole of the foot obliquely and is inserted into the lateral side of the base of the first metatarsal and the lateral side of the first cuneiform. Occasionally, it sends a slip to the base of the second metatarsal bone. The tendon changes its direction at two points. First, behind the lateral malleolus. Second, on the cuboid. In both of these situations, the tendon is thickened and in the latter, a sesamoid fibrocartilage, sometimes a bone, is usually developed in its substance. Peroneus brevis. The peroneus brevis lies under cover of the peroneus longus and is a shorter and smaller muscle. It arises from the lower two-thirds of the lateral surface of the body of the fibula, medial to the peroneus longus, and from the intermuscular septa, separating it from the adjacent muscles on the front and back of the leg. The fibers pass vertically downward and end in a tendon which runs behind the lateral malleolus along with but in front of the peroneus longus muscle. The two tendons being enclosed in the same compartment and lubricated by a common mucus sheath. It then runs forward on the lateral side of the calcaneus above the trochlear process and the tendon of the peroneus longus and is inserted into the tuberosity at the base of the fifth metatarsal bone on its lateral side. 
On the lateral surface of the calcaneus, the tendons of the peroneae longus and brevis occupy separate osseoaponeurotic canals formed by the calcaneus and the perineal retinacula. Each tendon is enveloped by a forward prolongation of the common mucus sheath. Innervations. The peroneae longus and brevis are supplied by the fourth and fifth lumbar and first sacral nerves through the superficial peroneal nerve, L4, L5, S1. And action. The peroneae longus and brevis extend the foot upon the leg. And when we talk about extending the foot, we are talking about plantar flexion, pointing the toes like a ballerina. So he says, they extend the foot upon the leg in conjunction with tibialis posterior, antagonizing the tibialis anterior and peroneus tertius, which are flexors or dorsiflexors of the foot. The peroneus longus also everts the sole of the foot. Personally, I learned that they both do. And from the oblique direction of the tendon across the sole of the foot is an important agent in the maintenance of the transverse arch. I am going to talk about that more in a second. Taking their fixed points below, the peronei serve to steady the leg upon the foot. This is especially the case in standing upon one leg when the tendency of the superincumbent weight is to throw the leg medial ward, the peroneus longus overcomes this tendency by drawing on the lateral side of the leg. Isn't that fascinating? I've never even thought about that, but that is pretty interesting. Now, what I think he's trying to say is that somehow the peroneals tend to correct knee valgus, which I'm kind of having a hard time really seeing a significant contribution from them. I mean, I guess if there are fibers on, well, I was going to say on the tibia, but they don't even go up to the femur. So honestly, I'm not really sure if this is super pertinent information anymore that we, we just talked about. I don't think that the peroneals actually prevent knee valgus at all. And in fact, they are uh, everters of the foot, so they would actually collapse the foot into um, pronation, which tends to exacerbate knee, knee valgus. So I will say that on that final point, although it was interesting to think about it first, when we process through it, I don't think that gray is longer correct on this one. If someone wants to go to the research and look that up and contradict what I've just said, please feel free and I would love to talk about it. But as we know, this text is prior to a lot of biomechanical research of today. So when we tend to think about knee valgus and collapsing medially of the leg, as he says, or collapsing medially of the knee, we tend to kind of think that the hip abductors are uh, a big player. So not so much the peroneals, if at all. Anyway, but that does kind of go um, into what I had wanted to discuss with gait anyways, which um, brings us back to the prior point before uh, the point that I just refuted which um, is how he was discussing that the peroneals 
work in conjunction with tib posterior, which is one of the muscles we talked about last time, in preserving the transverse arch of the foot. So um, this is actually probably one of the most important functions of peroneus longus. Peroneus longus works with tibialis posterior and the two um, tendons go underneath the foot on opposite sides of the calcaneus and actually work in conjunction to create a sling for the arch. So um, if you have collapsed arches, you would want to look at probably both of these muscles. In fact, um, going back to kind of what I was saying about knee valgus, so if we think about eversion and the role that the peroneals play in eversion, um, we want to make sure that tib posterior and the peroneals are in conjunction with one another, as Grace says, or that they're in harmony, I guess that they're in balance. We wanna make sure that one side is not stronger than the other. And if it does happen to be that there is an imbalance between the peroneals and tip posterior, we're either going to have the foot favoring inversion in plantar flexion or more eversion in plantar flexion. Or in stance, such as in the stance phase of gait, um, this is really going to affect the biomechanics of the foot. So um, without going into a ton of detail about the gait cycle, simply because it's a lengthy but fascinating process, um, I want to talk about stance and the role of the foot. So when your foot, when you're walking in typical gait, when your foot lands on the ground, like as your foot is swinging through the air, your foot is in inversion slightly. Maybe not plantar flexion, in fact, you want it to be dorsiflexed, but it is in slight inversion. And we know from biomechanics that when the foot is in supination, or um, well, inversion is a part of supination, but when the foot is supinated, it is rigid. It's a stiff foot. And as soon as your heel strikes the ground and you start to go into that initial contact and um, weight acceptance, the loading response of that first part of your gait, your foot has to change from supination into pronation, which provides a flexible foot. So when the foot is in pronation or uh, with has, which has an element of eversion in it, the midfoot is flexible. So it unlocks the midfoot, which allows your foot to sort of, uh, as you go through mid stance in your gait cycle, it allows that arch to collapse a little bit so that you can have more shock absorption. Because if you think about it, you know, the whole weight of your body is going onto that arch in stance because in stance of gait, you're on one leg, single limb stance. So if your foot was to remain rigid and supinated slash inverted at that point of your gait cycle, you would have very little shock. 
function. And so what happens is that pronation in the middle part of your stance is actually quite necessary. And it actually prevents the foot from, from injury if everything is working appropriately. And then once you get to the end of your stance phase, then it starts to supinate or invert a little bit again and become more rigid. And so the role of the peroneals and tibialis posterior in being sort of like partners in crime, but with very opposite functions um, is, is crucial to your gait cycle. So again, tibialis posterior is a plantar flexor and inverter whereas the peroneals are plantar flexors and everters, and when they fire up at the same time, they create that sling in the foot, and then once you go into your gait cycle, they will activate at different times of your gait cycle to either allow the collapsing of that arch or that sling, or the tightening of it to go with what is needed at that point of your gait cycle. So we don't want tibialis posterior to either be too strong or too weak, just as we don't want peroneus longus being either too strong or too weak. We want them to work together. So kind of fascinating. Um, I could talk about gait all day. I really, I really do find it incredibly interesting. Um, so that's a little bit about the peroneals. And I will say something I probably should have started off with way up top is that the peroneals are also known as, more commonly today, known as fibularis longus and fibularis brevis, which makes sense because they are uh, muscles which attach to the lateral part of the fibula. Right, so at some point, I, I don't know who, who Peronial or Peronius was, probably the guy that discovered them. Um, uh, they are now being more referred to as fibularis longus and fibularis brevis. So, and, and as well with the innervation being the superficial peroneal nerve, we could also call it the superficial fibular nerve, which is really more how I learned it. And there you have it. So think about that. Think about, especially fibularis longus, think about where that tendon is going. I want you to imagine this muscle that starts way, way, way up top at the head of the fibula, goes all the way down the outside of your leg, and then the tendon goes and cruises underneath the foot all the way across the sole of the foot to that base of the first metatarsal and medial cuneiform. I mean, that, that's a pretty long journey for that tendon to go. And you can palpate it on yourself, kind of, it, it, you know, it kind of depends on how um, meaty your ankles are. Uh, it's kind of hard to find it on me. Um, but if you evert your foot, you might feel that muscle and tendon tense up. You might be able to follow it down um, outside that lateral part of your calcaneus. And uh, bonus points, if you can find where the tendons, because you know they're, they're in that common sheath together, if you can find where those two tendons split from one another, and one, obviously brevis, travels to that styloid process of the fifth metatarsal, whereas longus goes underneath the foot. If you can find where they split, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So find find somebody 
find one of your friends who's a little bit bonier <laughs> and see if you can find it on them because it's kind of fun. All right. Well, I think that we've chatted for long enough today. I hope you learned something new and I hope that, you know, you're inspired to keep going on your journey because something brought you here, some interest, and wherever the road takes you, I hope you enjoy it. I'll be back to you soon with more Anatomy Bites. I want to thank you for joining us today and for letting Vita and Zoe, my two famous little pit bulls on Instagram, join us and snore through this whole session today. If you have any questions, I'd love for you to reach out to me. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Nikki-Ray, N-I-K-K-I-D-A-S-H-R-A-E. More on Instagram than anything, but I will get your messages on Twitter as well. So um, let's say hi. And again, if you'd love to participate in our research study, the link is going to be in the bio of my Instagram account and um, also in a tweet on my Twitter account. So I would love it if you could pass the word on about that. Have a great, great rest of your day, week, weekend, wherever you're at, and stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>